I'll be reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And it reads, But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness profits is profitable for all things, having promise of the life, and now is, and of that which come, which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy to all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. Last Sunday night, Jordan spoke and did a great job. And we, we've got a lot of young folks here that do a lot of really good things. And I appreciate them very, very much. Uh, Nick spoke last week as well. I think it was the first time for Nick to speak. And both of those guys really did a tremendous job. Matter of fact, somebody said to Jared, well, actually, I think to both of us, directed it to the both of us, that there's some guys in line to take our job. And let me tell you what, there would be no greater compliment than for some of the young guys here to take our place. And so we look forward to seeing some of these guys grow and mature and to be everything they can be in God's kingdom. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be talking about young people. And tonight in our lesson, I want to talk about the value of young people to the church. I know that there are a lot of folks in our world today that overlook the value of young people. Sadly, sometimes even in the church, people neglect the great influence of young people. I said a minute ago that we have a great group of young people. This past summer, we had a large number of young people that went to Jamaica. In previous years, we've had any number of young folks that have traveled to conduct VBS with Jared and Anna and others. And so they have made great contributions to the cause. And I really think when I look around, particularly on Wednesday night, a lot of the people that are here are comprised of young folks. And so you set a great example. Our young people set a tremendous example for all of us. And so we're grateful for you, and we hope and pray that God will continue to bless you. I want you to think with me for a minute or two about 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a very simple, basic, what I would call fundamental lesson. As we think about the value of young people to the church, there are two things I want to call attention to, really two key words. The first key word is allocate. The second key word is regulate. I want to begin with allocate. And I want you to look with me, if you would, for a moment at what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. Paul said, exercise yourself to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So Paul here is talking about the importance of spiritual exercise. This is a time of year that people are already 
making a list, identifying goals for the coming year. You would be amazed at the number of people that have on their radar, beginning January 1, to begin exercising. I see it every year at the gym. It's amazing how the numbers will spike in January and February, and then by March and April, what happens? Back to our old ways. Well, when we talk about physical exercise, are there benefits and blessings? The answer is yes. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. More importantly, spiritual exercise is tremendously profitable. I want to begin by talking about what I would call some core exercises. If you go to the gym, if you know much about working out, you understand the importance of building your core. Because a lot of your strength is in those core muscles. And so if you build those core muscles, then you're going to be what you want to be, physically speaking. Well, there are some core muscles that we need to build or that we need to exercise, spiritually speaking. So how do we do that? There are three things. And we're not reinventing the wheel here. But rather, these are simple, fundamental things that will help you by way of spiritual exercise. So what are these core exercises? Number one, and this is addressed to both young and old. Now, Paul here is writing to Timothy. Timothy was his own son in the faith. Timothy was a young evangelist, and he did a lot of good in his life. He exerted, I have no doubt, tremendous influence on lots of people. So Paul is telling him, look, exercise yourself to godliness. So what about these core exercises? Number one, stay in the Word. Stay in God's Word. Listen, if you would, to what Paul tells Timothy down in verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Look also at verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So fundamentally speaking, young or old, we've got to develop some core exercises, don't we? So one of the ways that we build our spiritual core is by staying in the Word. Spending time in God's Word. Paul would tell Timothy in his second letter, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. How are we going to know what the doctrine of Christ is? The teaching about Christ, the teaching of Christ, if we don't spend time reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 119 and about verse 9? Ask the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? His response, by taking heed according to your word. Down in verse 11, he said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you remember when Jesus was just a young fellow at the age of 12? And Luke says that he was growing in a number of areas. He was growing 
physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And you think about that. We would say that is a well-rounded young person. Well, by the same token, we want to develop that same kind of mindset, that same type of maturity. So staying in the Word, young folks as well as older people who obey the gospel, once a person obeys the gospel, they are identified by Peter as a baby, a spiritual infant. And so what is expected is spiritual growth. Timothy had some good teachers, didn't he? Do you remember when Timothy was written to by the Apostle Paul and reminded of the genuine faith that dwelt first, he said, in your mother Lois, or rather in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and then he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. Over in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, and that from a baby. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, to develop the mindset that you want to know what God has to say. The time to learn, the time to lay the foundation is when you're young. I mentioned just a moment ago that when we obey the gospel, we're identified by Peter as a baby. And Peter said, as a newborn baby, you desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, by spending time in God's Word, you're laying a foundation, and that foundation can literally either make you or break you. If you don't have a good foundation, you're going to be susceptible to any number of things that come down the pike. So, stay in the Word. Make it a point every single day to read, to study, to meditate on the truth of God. Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 1-2? The Bible says his meditation was on the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditated both day and night. Study and keep studying and strive to the best of your ability to grow. As I mentioned just a moment ago, Jesus in Luke 2-52 grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. A well-rounded young man. So first and foremost, stay in the Word. Secondly, stay in worship. Stay in worship to God. And we talk about private devotionals to God, but there's also a great deal of importance when it comes to corporate worship. There are a lot of folks that are not here tonight that should have been back. And I was thinking just a minute ago about the lesson this morning. And we were talking in the hallway just a minute ago. How some folks, when they hear a lesson, they immediately start thinking about the person beside them or the person in front of them or behind them. And the thought is, they need this lesson. Look, it's for all of us. We all need it. I remember a person telling me on one occasion coming out of the worship services. He said, you know what, if they'd have been here, you'd have told them today. Look, it's for everybody, myself included. So there's a lot to be said about corporate worship, giving God the honor, the adoration that he has due. The psalmist said, 
that we ought to bow down and worship the Lord who is the creator. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Think of the importance of being together collectively Sunday morning, Sunday night to worship God. To think for just a very brief period of time in the week about God. One of the real problems that Israel had in days gone by, and Amos addressed it in his book. You remember God had said to the children of Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The children of Israel, they wanted the Sabbath day to hurry up and get over with so they could get back to business. And really the Sabbath was intended to cause them to pause in the midst of their busy lives and think about spiritual things. So for one, two, three hours a week, four hours a week, we have the opportunity to come together to be with one another, people of like precious faith, and praise God and also draw strength from one another. It was said of the early church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. We enjoy periods of fellowship outside the worship, but we are also collectively together in worship. So, number one, stay in the Word. Number two, stay in worship. I would encourage you in the coming days to read Hebrews chapter 10. The Hebrew writer is addressing Hebrew Christians that were on the verge of going back to Judaism. Some had already gone back to Judaism. And really, the thrust of the letter is, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? And so, in Hebrews chapter 10... The writer talks about the danger of falling away. And interestingly, there is a correlation in apostasy and one absenting himself or herself from corporate worship. So think about that. Then there's a third thing. Number one, stay in the word. Number two, stay in worship. Number three, stay in the work. There are things for all of us to do in the church, right? young or old, male or female, we all have the opportunity to contribute to the cause of Christ. So I want to encourage you, get involved. One of the reasons why some folks don't stick and live faithfully in the kingdom of God is because they're not plugged in, they're not connected. And so the time to plug in and get connected is when you're young. And you think about Preparing yourself for greater roles of service. Last Sunday night, the young men led our worship service. And you think about all the guys that led our service last Sunday night. These are the future leaders of the church, aren't they? They are, they are the future preachers, teachers, song leaders, elders, deacons, whatever. And so... Get involved in the work. Paul, in writing to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, encouraged him to show himself as a pattern for good works. In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, you be zealous of good works. So find something to do and do it. Find your niche, find your place in the cause of Christ, and then just contribute. Now, we talk about these core exercises. Secondly, I want you to think about the consequences of exercise. 
When you go to the gym, what do you expect? Do you expect to look different? You expect to feel differently than maybe how you used to feel? What do you expect? When we go to the gym, what do we want? We want to look better. We want to feel better. We want to think better. Because really when you begin to plug in and exercise, what does it do? It helps you physically. It helps you mentally. It helps you emotionally, doesn't it? Kind of brings balance and symmetry to your life. All right? So what about engaging in core exercises from a spiritual perspective? What are the consequences to that? What can you expect? Number one, you can expect to build some spiritual muscles. In other words, you're going to be strong. Strong. When you go to the gym and you lift weights, what does that do? It builds strength, doesn't it? Strength or muscle comes through resistance. All right? So we're building muscles. We're trying to get stronger. We're trying to build we're trying to build some endurance. Isn't that the byproduct of engaging in core exercises, spiritually speaking? When you spend time in God's Word, you live the Christian life, what are you doing? You're building strength, aren't you? Look, think about what Job said in Job chapter 14. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Somebody said one time, there are three kinds of people. There are people who have problems, there are people who are going to have problems, and there are people who are coming out of problems. So if you look at it from the vantage point, life is filled with an array of problems and difficulties and trials. Whether you're young or old, black, white, male, female, doesn't matter, does it? So how then are you going to equip yourself to meet the challenges ahead? You ever heard of somebody who has been very involved in physical exercise. Maybe they run, they do a lot of cardio, they lift weights, and then they come down with some type of cancer or other disease. And the doctor says, you know what? You're going to be able to beat this or you're going to be able to get through this a lot easier than some folks. Why? Because your body's in good shape. You're fit. If you are spiritually fit, when you face tough times in life, when your spiritual life is fit, when you've built those spiritual muscles, can you not ride it out, endure it? Sure you can. Do you remember James in James chapter 1 talked about the value of trials? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many times have we said trials in life they can break your faith, they can shake your faith, or they can make your faith. So we talk about the consequences of exercise. When you spend time in the Word, when you spend time in worship and in the work, you're building spiritual strength, aren't you? You're equipped for the future. All right? Is there a second thing? Yes, there is. First, I think about strength. Secondly, satisfaction. If somebody's in the gym day in and day out, and I mean you're exercising and you're dieting and you're doing everything right, 
when you get in front of the mirror, don't you feel better about how you look? Yes or no? Okay, maybe put something over your face. Let me think about it. I mean, the goal is to look better, isn't it? To have this sense of satisfaction, to walk out of the gym and feel like you are Superman. Right? Sure it is. All right, so spiritually speaking, here you are exercising, and you're building spiritual muscles. Don't you want to be satisfied with where you are in life? What was it Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, with these we shall be, listen to him, content. I can tell you right now, there are a lot of people in our world today. And they are chasing contentment, satisfaction, happiness in all the wrong places. They have this idea that it's in power, that happiness and satisfaction and contentment is found not just in power, but also in material possessions, in prominence, fame. Look at how many people in our world today are chasing that elusive rabbit, and they never catch it. You remember Solomon? Solomon tried all those things, and what was his summation? Did Solomon realize, look, you know what? I've had it all, I've done it all, but I'm still not happy. So what's the key to happiness and satisfaction? Fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all. And you remember what he said in chapter 12, verse 1? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Why is it so important for young people to begin living a godly life? at an early age because when you get older you know what it's hard to change your ways isn't it the older you get the more stubborn and resistant you become to change and so Solomon's saying look lay the right foundation and then build on that foundation so and by the way in first Timothy chapter 6 Paul talks about those who are minded to be rich. And he said they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. But listen to him in verse 11. He said, but you, O man of God, flee these things. And you follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. What's that going to do for you? It's going to bring about satisfaction that you can't find and you can't buy in the world, I promise you. So, the consequences of exercising. Number one, you're going to be strong. Number two, you're going to be satisfied. And number three, you are going to be successful. Do you want to be successful in life? Don't you want to be the best that you can be? Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for an average life. You know, a lot of folks in our world today, they settle for second-rate living, don't they? They really do. Second-rate living is in the world. And what 
What God is saying to us is, if you want to live like a king, you want to be successful and prosperous and happy in life, anchor down. Anchor down in the Lord. Let me just give you a quick verse to look at. Look with me, if you would, just very, very quickly at Joshua chapter 1. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Moses has, has died. And God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. All right, Joshua, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving you. In verse 5, he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Look at verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded. He said, do not turn from it to the right hand, to the left. Now listen to him. That you may prosper or have success wherever you go. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then... What's God saying to Joshua? He's saying, all right, Joshua, you anchor down in my word. You don't turn to the left hand, to the right hand. You stay right down the middle of my word. And he said, in doing that, here's what you can expect. He said, you will make, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have what? Good success. You want to be successful? Do things God's way. God's ways are always, and I would underline that, God's ways are always the best ways. That's it. You want to be a success? You want to be happy in life? Do it God's way. There's no other way, really. So, what can you expect? You exercise right. You live right. You'll be strong. You'll be satisfied. And you'll be successful. I don't know of anybody worth their salt that doesn't want to be successful. Don't you want to just knock the top out of it? Be all you can be. Be the best. Don't settle for second best. So, number one, allocate. Number two, regulate. Drop down if you would and look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So what about this exhortation? I think what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, yes, you're a young man, but don't let anyone look down on you like you're just a boy. Age is relative, isn't it? I mean, in a sense, isn't age relative? You're only... As young as you feel and act, right? I mean, at least that's what we tell ourselves. I mean, think about it. You know, David said one time, I was young, and now I'm old. And let me tell you what, I can sure identify with that. I went the other day to get car tax renewed. So I go in, and the lady says, could I see your driver's license? All right. So anyway, I give her my license. She looks at that license, and she does this, and she gets I'm like, what? In the, does she not believe? Does she not believe us? Me? 
She keeps looking. She said, I kept looking at that date and I kept thinking, there's something wrong here. And I said, lady, I think that every time I step in front of the mirror. Like somebody said one time, who's that old man wearing my clothes? I mean, don't you feel like that sometimes? I remember when folks used to call me the boy preacher. I don't hear that anymore. I sure would like to hear it. I really would. I'd like to be. I know a lot of folks would say they disagree, but let me tell you what, I would trade places in a heartbeat with our young folks. I really would. Man, I'd like to be young again. But you know what? You only go through this life one time, don't you? No repeats and no do-overs. But I would, I would, I would love to be a teenager again. I'd like to be a teenager and know what I know now. Wouldn't you? Some of you folks, you'll know what I'm talking about one day. You really will. So think about it for a minute. Has God not used young people in the past to do great things? Hasn't he? You remember Joseph? 17 years of age and he's sold out by his own brothers. Ends up down in Egypt. For 20 long years, he separated from family and friends, from the father that loved him. And Joseph, over that period of time, has done what? He has assumed a lot of power in the court of Pharaoh, second in command. And God providentially used Joseph as just a teenager. God used him to bring about a lot of good. As Joseph would later say to his brothers after his father was deceased, he said, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God had great plans for Joseph, didn't he? And Joseph was willing to to allow God to use his life in a great way. What about Miriam? Remember her? The sister of Moses? You remember the edict of Pharaoh? The mother of Moses places him in a little basket, little ark, down at the riverside. And who has that protective eye watching over him? You remember? It was Miriam, wasn't it? His sister. And you think about how important she became later in life. What about Daniel? Daniel was deported to Babylon, what, at maybe 17? And Daniel's in a foreign land among foreign people. And Daniel refused to compromise his religious principles, didn't he? In Daniel chapter 1. And you look at Daniel and you think about, okay, here is this young guy, and you can follow his life through the book of Daniel. He rises to power under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and then later, when Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians, guess who's on the scene but Daniel. Did God use him in a great way? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
So I say that to simply say to you, look, God can use you in a great way, whether you're young or old, but as a young person. Think about how you could be so instrumental in helping the church move forward in this new century. Because one day, it's going to be on your shoulders, isn't it? What about David? David was identified by God as a man after his own heart. David, you recall, the children of Israel quaked in the presence of Goliath, that Philistine warrior, and what David said. You think David was scared? You think he was willing to back down? David said, look, I come to you in the name of the Lord God. And who won that battle? That big giant thought he was so bad. Let me tell you what, that little David took him down. God used David in a great way. And David became probably the greatest king in the United Kingdom, didn't he? He was the greatest king in the United Kingdom. So God used him in a great way. Now, think about, think about what Paul is saying here in verse 12. Let no, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And I think what he's saying to Timothy is, look, Timothy, you show people, you show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. It's good advice today, isn't it? Whether young or old. You show people what it means to be a child of God. Now, do we sometimes fall short of our expectations? Do we sometimes not live up to our potential? Yes. But the goal is to be an example. You see, there is this exhortation. Don't let anybody despise your youth, look down on you, but you be an example. Well, how so? Number one, number one, in your conversation, that is, in your speech and how you go about your daily business talking to people. Listen to what he says. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, doesn't it? So, as a young person, don't get in the habit of using bad language. Don't fall into the trap of cussing and using slang and derogatory terms that denigrate other people. Don't get involved in tail-bearing and gossip. And you know what? There is power in the spoken word, the verbal word. But you can do a lot of damage with the pen or in some cases with that little cell phone, that little iPhone you hold in your hands, or your personal computer, your laptop, your, your tablet. You know what I mean? Get on Facebook, and what do you do? You start saying things that you shouldn't say, posting things that you shouldn't post. So Paul's saying, look, you make sure that your, converse, your conversation is that of a Christian. Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Not one bit. So, your words. And then what about your deeds? We think about our conversation and then our conduct. Here it is. You be an example to the believers in word and conduct. That's how you carry yourself. Paul could say to the church at Corinth, you be a follower of me 
even as I also am of Christ. In other words, Christ is the model, isn't he? And we're trying to live up to that expectation. And Paul could say, look, you follow me insofar as I'm following the Lord. So what about your conduct? Do you love like you should? Paul said, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love. Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you genuinely treat people like the Lord would want you to treat them to follow the golden rule? And then he said, in spirit. And I think what he's saying here is, have the right attitude. I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you're young, and I've been there, and I know, I know, I know what I know, I guess I should say. When, you're, when your folks tell you to do something, when they lay down rules in your home, let me tell you what, let me give you the best piece of advice I could ever give you. Do what they say. Do what they say. You listen to them. Why? Because that's your mother and that's your father. And you know what the golden rule is, don't you? The golden rule is the man with the gold rules. And they are the man or the woman with the gold. So whatever they say, you do it. Paul said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? He said, for this is right. You want to be a Christian? You want people to look up to you? You want people to think, you know what? He or she is a fine Christian person then have the right attitude. At school, don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a bully. Don't have a bad attitude. Don't become critical and cynical and bitter over life and have this hateful disposition. But think about who you are. You're a Christian. Think about all the blessings and favors that God has bestowed on you. As Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord. And again, what does he say? He said, I say rejoice. So, your attitude and then your faith. Grow your faith. Be a person of faith. And then purity. We live in a world that is filled with spiritual darkness. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It is engulfed in darkness. And here's what Jesus said. Men love darkness rather than light. Don't try to be like the world. Don't let the world pull you down. Paul would say over in chapter 5, Timothy, you keep yourself pure. Don't let the world soil your reputation or your good name. But rather, you be different. After all, we're, aren't we supposed to be different? Sometimes we want to blend in and be like the world, don't we? Paul said you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You belong to God. And so what Paul is saying is, since we belong to God, we ought to live like that. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to allow the world to pour us into its mold, but rather we're to be transformed people. And so, strive for purity in your life. As Paul said, deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's pretty good advice. All right. Let me sum it all up. As a young person... You have the world before you. 
You have life at your fingertips. And you can do so many great things. You are already doing great things. And I want you to leave here tonight knowing that you are an asset to the cause of Christ. You are valuable. God needs you in his service. We need you in his service. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for your love and care for us. We're grateful for your word and for the encouraging words that we receive through studying and meditating your truth. And Father, we pray especially for our young people, for every single person who makes up our youth group. Father, we pray that you would bless them with wisdom, with conviction, and courage to do what's right. And Father, we pray that you would bless them to be an example to others, to continue being a light in this world. And Father, we pray that you will use all of their talents for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to just tell you very quickly, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. Just do what they did on Pentecost Day. Remember when, you remember when Luke records those people being pricked or cut to the heart and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, here it is, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So, if you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to obey His word tonight, the assurance is God will add you to the church. All your sins will be washed away, Acts 22, 16. You'll be a part of the body that God has promised to save. If you're here tonight, your life's not what it ought to be, what it could be, what it should be, and you need the prayers of the church, we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.